0: Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Here on this podcast, we discuss various topics like pop culture, news, politics, and more. And I am the host of this podcast, and my name is Shakira. Now, you all know the drill. If you are new here, go ahead and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button via whatever platform you're using to listen to this on, whether it be Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, however you're listening, go ahead and subscribe so you'll be notified every single time. we have a brand new episode, which is every Tuesday at 9am and sometimes Thursday if we're feeling a little spicy. Now, if you are already a part of our Carefree family, welcome back and thank you for joining us for a brand new episode. I appreciate you and I am thankful for each and every one of you. So before I even hop into the Carefree updates, I want to just... Send my condolences and my heart out to the family of a black woman that was killed over the weekend, Miss Tatiana Jefferson. She was 28 years old. I will give you all more information about that during the carefree updates, but I wanted to start with that first. So let's hop right in. So, starting off, on a heavy 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 note like i said earlier miss tatiana jefferson she was 28 years old and she was killed in her own home in fort worth texas over the weekend and here is a bit of the article from huffington post A Fort Worth, Texas police officer fatally shot a black woman in her own home early Saturday while responding to a neighbor's request for a welfare check on the residence. The police identified the officer responsible for killing her as a white male who has been with the department since April of 2018. His name has not yet been released. He has been placed on administrative leave pending the outcome of an internal investigation and is scheduled to be interviewed Monday by the cause case unit, police said. Jefferson, Atatiana was shot through a window around 2.30 a.m. as officers responded to a non-emergency call from neighbor James Smith, who said the front door of the home was open with the lights on. Um... This is a quote from the police chief. He said that the officer observed a person through a rear window in the house and fired a shot at that person. The officer did not announce that he was a police officer prior to shooting. What the officer observed and why he did not announce police will be addressed as the investigation continues. Officers then went inside and provided emergency medical care to Jefferson, but she was pronounced dead at the scene, said the police. Um... And the eight-year-old nephew that she was with gave a statement to the police as well. The police released a video of a body camera worn by the officer who fired the shot, which shows him approaching the front of the house and peering inside. The footage shows storm doors were closed, but two main doors behind them were open. Lights inside the house were on, and at least one car was parked in the driveway. The officer can be seen entering the backyard, turning to the left and shining a flashlight through a window. He suddenly grabs for his gun, points it at the window and shouts, put your hands up, show me your hands before immediately opening fire. So when I was when I found out about this, I found out about it yesterday. So on Sunday, I found about it a day. Well, it happened at 2:30 a.m. So a few hours later. I saw it and I saw quite a few people. Granted, I did not watch the body cam video myself because as many of you all know who have been here for a long time, I can only take so much of black trauma. Um, So I did not watch the body cam video when I saw the headline that she was black and she was killed in her own home. That was all I needed to know. You know, I can read an article, but I cannot watch the video because things like that sit with me. I am very empathetic um so I was reading some of the responses and I saw that allegedly he gave her about four to five seconds to respond after he you know shouted put your hands up and then proceeds to shoot her in her own home I cannot emphasize that enough and one thing I want to say is that if we can't call the police like I thought their whole motto was to protect and serve. If we can't call them and they not be afraid, who can we call? You know, over the weekend, this same weekend, I was meeting one of my friends from high school, and she called me, and she was like, oh, Shakira, I ran out of gas. Um, so I'm like, okay, cool, it's fine. I will stop by an auto shop, pick up a gas can, and fill it with gas, and I'll come meet you wherever you are. So, you know, I go and handle everything. And while I'm, you know, going to the car, you know, place, auto store to get a gas can, I thought, oh, I should call her back and tell her that she can call the police. Because I know that the police, because, okay, so this is what happened. Her car stopped in the middle of a two-lane road. So it's, you know, one lane going one way and one lane going the other way. And it's a very dangerous road because sometimes people speed on that road and it's a canopy road and it's just, like, ditches on either side. So I'm like, can you get off of that road? And she was like, no, I can't. So I'm like, okay, wave somebody down. If you find somebody passing by some men who look okay and not suspect, wave them down and ask them to push the car while you, you know, navigate it. That was why we were on the phone. So when I hung up... I had the thought, oh, she should call the police because I know the police do that. Sometimes you can call non-emergency and tell them you need help, tell them what happened to your car. You just need help, you know, getting pushed out of the road or whatever. But immediately after I had that thought, I said, no, she shouldn't call the police. I'll just, you know, I'll come help her or hopefully someone will pass by a nice person and help her push her car. And that was just so unfortunate, you know, when I thought about it later. And this was before I even found out the news about a Tatiana Jefferson. But I thought that it was so unfortunate that my second thought, you know, my first thought was, oh, she can call the police. Then my second thought was, no, she shouldn't call the police because what if? Like, it is just so sad that just, like, I had that thought, right, that, you know, anything could have happened just from her stopping her car. And it was crazy because when we finally ended up going to lunch, she told me, I didn't even mention anything to her about the thought, but she told me, she said, you know, I thought, um, okay, let me call the police. And I called the non-emergency number, and the dispatcher kind of, like, smacked his lips when I told him what I needed help with. And he was like, Okay, what's your number? I'll send a police officer over. And then the police never called her. They never followed up, and they never showed up to assist her. Luckily, two um two guys stopped. You can probably guess their race stopped and helped her push her car out of the road, which was a blessing. But, you know, and I told her, she said, you know, she was reluctant about calling because she didn't want it to turn into something else that you know it wasn't even supposed to be like she just needed help with her car she didn't want it to turn into anything else now granted she's a great person you know nothing wrong with her at all but you don't I mean it has been proven time and time again that nothing needs to be wrong with you for something to happen like look at Tatiana Jefferson she was in her own home with her nephew playing video games and look at what happened to her and I told her, you know, after my friend told me that, I said, you know what? Because after I got off the phone with you, I thought, oh, she can call the police to help her. And then I said, no, maybe she shouldn't. And it is a crazy, cold world that we live in that the citizens that police and law enforcement are supposed to protect and serve are, you aren't even their first thought to call. That is crazy to me. And I know sometimes when I'm stuck in a bind, I will much rather call a family member or a neighbor or someone I trust, a close friend, as opposed to calling the police. And that is very, very sad. And for her neighbor to have called the non-emergency line, meaning that, you know, he was worried because he thought, because apparently her mother had been having health issues. And when he saw the door open, he got kind of worried. And he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. And I pray that he forgives himself because it is not his fault because he genuinely had a concern. He was concerned about her. And this is just something that he's going to have to live with. But I pray that he finds it, you know, finds healing somewhere down the line and just knows that it is not on him. It is on that officer. And for that officer, I guess they were with them, they said they've been with the department since April of last year, so a little over a year. So I don't know if they were a new officer or not or if they had transferred from somewhere else. But if you're going to be scared to check up on somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe you shouldn't be a police officer. My, I feel like a lot of this is fear, and I don't want to just say fear of black people or fear of minorities when things like this happen, but I feel like it is fear. And if you're gonna be scared of something, maybe you just don't, you're in the wrong line of work. Maybe you need to find something else to do. Maybe you need to be a pastry chef. Maybe you need to be a Uber driver. Maybe you need to go get a state job. Something that doesn't doesn't put you in the line of fire if you're gonna be scared of someone in their own home at 2:30, and then you give her four to five seconds to respond when you say put your hands up that is crazy and then when you read further down in the article you see that um, the police released either a picture or a video or something like that where it was a gun in the home now I am sick and tired of things like this happening, and then the police trying to deflect the situation and making it seem like something was wrong with the victim. That person is the victim, and they try to diminish their character or stain their character to make other people feel like, oh, well, she had a gun in the house. Well, if she was licensed to carry and she was in her own home, what does that even mean? Like, what does that even matter? (sighs) That it's just, I am tired of black people becoming hashtags. I am tired of black people becoming political conversations. I am tired of black people's existence being made so much smaller because they are victims of incidences that happen like this. I am tired of it. I'm just tired, and that's all I have to talk about with that right now. God bless her soul and have mercy on everyone involved, and I pray that her neighbor finds peace and forgives himself moving forward, especially in the days and weeks to come, because I think that they will be the hardest for him to handle. And, you know, it may even go without saying but i hope that justice is served moving on billy porter who is pray tell from pose he announced over the weekend that he will play the fairy godmother in cinderella i mean that's exciting so i'm excited about it so um the only cinderella i acknowledge is the one with brandy and whitney houston so i mean this might be the second one i acknowledge Granted, I'm still, I still have some reservations because apparently the Cinderella in this one is Camila Cabello. Camila Cabello, I believe that's how her name is pronounced. She was a member of the group Fifth Harmony. I want to say that she was the lead singer. Don't quote me on that. But this was when her, Normani, and the other girls were all in a group together. I never listen to their music, so I can't even tell you anything about them per se. But my reservation lies in the fact that she is Cinderella, and I have read some things about her past that aren't particularly um, nice to hear, you know. And one thing in particular was when they were in a group together and how um, their fans would say racist things about Normani, and she would never um, defend her. And I think she even like liked some of the racist tweets that the fans would tweet out about Normani. And I think that's where some of the tension came in their relationship as a group. And let me just say that Destiny's Child would never—Destiny's Child— never so I don't know I I might see it just because you know it's Billy Porter and I want to support him especially in a role like that but still I have some reservations as far as who's playing Cinderella now moving on I saw an article also on Huffington Post, their um, parenting section of the website, but it said that suicide attempts among black teens are increasing. And I thought that was interesting, so here is a little bit of the article Suicide attempts among black teenagers in America have risen significantly over the past three decades, according to a new study that found no such spike among white, Asian, Latino. Or other racial and ethnic groups. The findings published in the Journal of Pediatrics on Monday use self reported data from high schoolers collected by the Centers for Disease Control between 1991 and 2017. And the research, researchers behind this study believe it shines a much needed light on understudied differences in suicidal attempts and ideation, basically, thoughts among American teens based on race and ethnicity. And I wonder, you know, because, okay, so I know when I was growing up, I'm I'm saying that like I'm older, but, you know, I'm 25, but I know when I was growing up, you know, middle school, high school, it was always, like, very taboo for, you know, black people to talk about mental health and suicide attempts, and it was always just kind of one of those things, like, we don't do that we as in black people we don't do that that's a white people thing and we see now that that is not just a white people thing that is an everybody thing and our numbers are going up as far as suicide attempts and I don't know if some of it is from us not addressing mental health enough in our community or whether it is from the rise of social media and teens comparing themselves to other teens um I don't know if it's from familial relationships and not being able to talk to parents in the home. I don't know what it is that's going on, but it is something that definitely needs to be addressed. So I said that to say if you have any teens in your life, whether you're a teacher and you teach teenagers or whether you have a little sister or a little brother, cousins, we all have cousins, family members who are teenagers, talk to them, and see, you know, if you notice any signs, if you see anything that does not sit well with you, do not sit back and just ignore it and say, oh, it'll pass. I have dealt with depression several times in my life. I'm not afraid to say that, and I felt when I was in those spaces, I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to, so be that sounding board sometimes for them, and also, if you can, if you're in the position to be able to Take them to a therapist. Have them talk to a professional, which is what I highly recommend. But if you are not in a position to do that, definitely be their sounding board and say, hey, um, do you need to talk? I noticed that you haven't, you know, been the same lately. Do you want to go get ice cream? Do you want to go to the movies? Do you want to go walk around the mall? Like, meet them where they are. Meet them on their level, whatever they like to do. Just reach out a helping hand and say, hey, let's go, you know, do this. Let's go for a day out or something and then ease your way into a conversation with them because this is something that we definitely need to address within our community. We are all responsible for one another. So that's all for my carefree updates today. Let's hop into our topic right after this break. All right, now, if you listened to last week's podcast episode, then you already know what we're talking about today. It is a part two. It is a two-parter um topic we are talking about systemic racism. haha, <laughs> I got it this week. Systemic racism or institutional racism, another name for it. Now, before I continue, let me just say that I it bothered me so much that I was saying systematic racism instead of systemic racism. But later on, I did find out that some people do pronounce it systematic racism. So, you know, I wasn't completely wrong, but it is systemic racism. Anyway, like I said, this is a two-part episode. Last week, I gave you the definition of what institutional racism or systemic racism is. And just to give you a refresher, I am going to give that to you again. So I gave you three different textbook definitions and then one of my own so the first was systemic racism includes the complex array of anti-black practices the unjustly gained political economic power of whites the continuing economic and other resource inequalities along racial lines and the white racist ideologies and attitudes created to maintain and also rationalize white privilege and power and that was developed by sociologist joe fagan that was the first definition i gave you The second definition was from Ben and Jerry's because remember last week we talked about how they have been doing spotlights on different issues affecting, you know, minorities and within the country. And I mean, shout out to Ben and Jerry's for that. But their definition of systemic racism is racism that infects the very structure of our society. It's called systemic racism. And the most simplest definition I found was that systemic racism is what blocks opportunities for people of color. And then my own definition that I conjured up was systemic or institutional racism is the disenfranchisement of people of color by those who are privileged in our society and that is carried out through various institutions that we come in contact with every single day. So recall last week, we talked about some of those institutions. We talked about the wealth gap. We talked about education. Um, And we talked a little bit about housing discrimination and how all of those factors Well, all of these institutions even the ones that we have not talked about yet but we will cover today work together to further the other they i mean imagine a circle and imagine different points on this circle and an arrow just going right into the next like they all correspond they all correlate and they help further the next one so with the wealth gap we talked about how you hear politicians say, we need to close the wealth gap, blah, 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 but we very rarely hear specific statistics that will give us a call to action. Um, so we talked about some of those statistics last week, and we also talked about education and how black students are more prone to being suspended, even if they are in the minority of the students at the schools. And I also wanted to mention this week, um, kind of doubling back to that, how Black children are more likely to be seen as, you know, older than they are. And I may have touched on it a little bit last week. I'm not sure. I can't really remember. But um, black children are definitely seen as older than they are. Actually, I did talk about this last week. I just remembered because I thought about my nephew. And I thought about him last week when I was talking about this because my nephew, well, y'all, I have a lot of... I have two brothers, and they have some children, okay? They have some children. So I am an aunt to quite a bit, and one of my nephews is 14, but he is taller than me. Now, for context, I am not a giant, okay? I am 5'7", uh, maybe like in between 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and my nephew is taller than me, and he's 14, now, I'm 25, and he's also taller than his dad. So, you know, he he may actually hit six foot tall in his lifetime, Lord's will. Um, he may hit six foot tall because he's 14, and he still hasn't even hit that, like, real growth, growth spurt yet. And I worry about him oftentimes because he is so tall that people or, I mean, let's just be real, I worry often that, police will see him and think he's much older than he is, but he's only 14. But because he's so tall, I think that they will, you know, see him as a lot older than he really is. And that's one of my concerns that I, you know, deal with daily, one of my thoughts, you know, inside the mind of Shakira, one of my thoughts that I have oftentimes, and it's not just my concern for him, but my concern about black boys all over the United States because, We've seen it. We've seen it several times. We've seen it with Trayvon. I don't even have to go down the list because we know their names. We know their stories. We know the statistics. And I don't want to get in a funk on this episode, and I feel a funk coming on. So let me just move forward. But we talked about how black children are seen, you know, as a lot older and less innocent than their counterparts. And the same thing goes for little black girls. I'm sure that you all have I mean, if you have not heard this, you are blessed. But most of us have heard, you know, in a house, in a black home, um, such and such is coming over, go take them shorts off, put some pants on while a little black girl is in her own house because they are seen as more sexual, more sexualized, and they're just children. Black girls aren't given the time, and black boys either aren't given the time to be children without being sexualized at such a young age, and it's just a shame. And I hope that all of you listening, if you have children now or you plan on having children in the future, that you work on breaking down those um Things that we grew up with, because we should be the change that we want to see. It is cliche, but there is truth in many cliches. We should work on being the change that we want to see, so... Listen, if you're a girl in her house wearing shorts, there's nothing wrong with that. She's in her own home. She is comfortable. There is something wrong with an adult looking at a little girl with shorts on. Something is wrong with them, not her. We have to stop sexualizing our children, our little girls, and little black boys as well. And also stop looking at little black boys as being much older than they are just because, you know, we tell them, oh, you're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to be the man of the house. No, he's a little boy. Let him be a little boy. All right, let me get off my soapbox. We talked about education. I said all that to say we talked about education last week. Now, we talked a little bit about housing. I was leading into housing, but I felt like it may have been information overload, which is why I said, okay, let me just stop here and we can make it a two parter because I went into redlining, and redlining is a part of housing discrimination. Now, if you remember, I gave you the um, history kind of of redlining. I didn't go into much detail, but I'm going to give you the information now so this information is coming from investopedia.com and the title of the article is just redlining and it is under the section laws and regulations and then under that section there's a section called crime and fraud if you want to read this more on your own which I do um, recommend because you know it's not enough to listen to a 30 minute 40 minute or hour long podcast you have to do the work outside of this it's the same thing with school like you can go to class every day and listen to a teacher for 60 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes, but if you're not doing the work outside of class, your the information is really not sticking to you. So I really hope that you all are, you know, trying to gather more information when I'm, you know, presenting this to you. So anyway. What is redlining? So redlining is an unethical practice that puts services, financial and otherwise out of reach for residents of certain areas based on race or ethnicity. It can be seen in the systematic now that's systematic for real not systemic systematic denial of mortgages, insurance, loans and other financial services based on location. Um, rather than an individual's qualifications and credit worthiness. Notably, the policy of redlining is felt the most by residents of minority neighborhoods. Shocker, not really. So, understanding redlining, the term redlining was coined by sociologist James McKnight in the 1960s and derives from how lenders would literally draw a red line on a map around the neighborhoods they would not invest in based on demographics alone. So, black, white, upper income, lower income. Black inner-city neighborhoods were most likely to be redlined, so they would circle them, draw a red line around those black inner-city neighborhoods. Investigations found that lenders would make loans to lower-income whites but not middle- or upper-income African Americans. Indeed, in the 1930s, the federal government began redlining real estate, making risky neighborhoods for federal mortgage loans on the basis of race The result of this redlining in real estate could still be felt decades later. In 1997, that was not too long ago. It may sound like it was a long time ago, but it was not that long ago, y'all. In 1997, homes in redlined neighborhoods were worth less than half of that of the homes in what the government had deemed as best for mortgage lending. And that disparity has only grown greater in the last two decades. Examples of redlining can be found in a variety of financial services, including not only mortgages but also student loans, credit cards, and insurance. Although the Community Reinvestment Act was passed in 1977 to put an end to all redlining practices, critics say the discrimination still occurs. For example, redlining has been used to describe discriminatory practices by retailers, both brick and mortar and online. Reverse redlining is the practice of targeting neighborhoods, mostly non-white, for products and services that are priced higher than the same services in areas with more competition. Now, when I read that part, it, t- it made me think about Walmart because my niece, one of my nieces, I'm talking about my family a lot in this episode, one of my nieces, she started her freshman year of college um, in August. And my mom and I were searching for different things for her room, for her dorm room. And we went to a Walmart that is closer to where we live. And at that Walmart, a lot of us (laughs) shop there, okay? A lot of minority people shop at that Walmart. It is right across from a neighborhood that is predominantly um, black. And, you know, we went to that Walmart and I saw this ottoman. And I said, oh, my gosh, I wish I still had the picture on my phone. So I saw an ottoman, and I took a picture of the ottoman because I was like, that's really cute. But I knew that we were going to have to go to another Walmart to find something. Oh, we were looking for a comforter, and this particular Walmart didn't have the comforter. So I was like, okay, let me take a picture of it. So when we go to the other, the other Walmart, Um, I can just, you know, we can get the ottoman and the comforter at the same time. Now, for context, this other Walmart is newer than the one that I just talked about. It is in a area that is up and coming. They are opening, like, restaurants and new movie theaters, and it is predominantly white. The shopper's there. I mean, it's it's really nice. Like, to be a Walmart is a very nice Walmart. So, you know, we get to the Walmart and then you know we find the comforter and I see the ottomans I look and I see the ottomans and I'm like oh that's the ottoman and then I look at the price and I'm like mom come look at this I call my mother mom so I'm like mom come look at this so she comes and she's like what's wrong I said why is this one cheaper than the one at the other Walmart now granted I could be thinking too deep. You know, I could be thinking too deep into this, but just when I read that section of the article from Investopedia, it made me think of that instance where the Walmart where predominantly white, you know, upper income people shop, this ottoman is cheaper than the ottoman that same ottoman, you know, same exact product, but marked up 2 or 3 dollars in the Walmart where more minorities shop and, you know, spend their money. And I just thought that was crazy. And I showed her the picture. I said, why is this one cheaper than the other ottoman? And she said, is it? And I said, yes. So I pull up the picture and I show her the price on the Walmart that we had just left. And she was like, why do you think it is? So, you know, I go on and tell her what I think it is, which is what I'm telling y'all, what I think it is, which is reverse redlining. So that's redlining and i'm moving in my chair y'all i am in a recording studio but i'm moving in my chair and if you hear that sound is from my shirt hitting the chair or like brushing against the chair while i'm moving so i apologize but you know i thought about that so it is not just in real estate like they said it is also within other financial institutions and granted There could be another name for what I just described with the products. I'm actually pretty sure there's another name for it. So, if you know the name of it, let me know. Um, And I could, again, be putting too much thought into it. It may not be that deep. It may just be like a Walmart thing where something is more expensive. or I don't know. I don't know. But I thought that was very interesting when I saw that at Walmart. So... Another thing to consider was a study that HUD um, put forth just this year, um, and it said that HUD did a fourth study on the state of housing discrimination against racial and ethnic minorities, and it revealed that white blatant acts of discrimination among real estate agents and rental property owners are on a decline. Subtle and not easily detectable forms of discrimination against minorities persist, however... So, this study basically found that minority renters and white renters were equally able to make appointments with rental housing owners, but when meeting with landlords, Hispanic, Asian, and Black, um, the renters were told about fewer available rental housing units than equally qualified white testers, with blacks and Hispanics being told about one fewer unit for every five in-person appointments, and Asians being told about one fewer unit for every six appointments. So this trend continues among home buyers as agents tell Black potential home buyers about 17% fewer homes and show them 17.7% fewer homes than similarly qualified white home buyers. So. This is still going on today when we're trying to find housing. Um, They aren't letting us know about different opportunities that we have, as far as like renting and even owning and mortgage. So, I, I think one thing that we can do to eradicate that is to go with real estate agents who have our best interests at heart, those and not just to say, you know, just black real estate agents, although when that time comes for me, that's who I'm going with, Um, but really supporting those that are going to work hard for you and that are going to make sure that you have the best options possible and that are going to give you all of your available options and not just tell you about what they want to tell you because if you and a white person is just as qualified you're equally qualified when it comes to renting or owning a home you should be told about every single opportunity that they are told about so your real estate agent is working for you if you're in the process of looking or you will be looking you know in the future I don't care if it's five years from now keep this in mind find a real estate agent that is going to work for you and that is going to give you the same opportunities and let you know of everything that you're supposed to know about as they would other people so, all of that goes into housing discrimination and redlining. Now, that may remind you of how I talked about education and how schools, many times public schools, are giving funding based on property tax where the houses are located now that is directly correlated because if black people aren't told about opportunities to live in better I'm using that air quotes better neighborhoods then they are forced to settle for what is deemed as a bad neighborhood which I'm even like what is even a bad neighborhood you know what I'm saying because sometimes people just think that wherever a lot of black people live that's a bad neighborhood and that's not the case so, if that's the case and you are forced to live in neighborhoods where the property tax is not as much as other neighborhoods to feed the schools this money so that they can have the newer textbooks and the better computers and the teachers that are, you know, more qualified, then, you know, it's just a continuing cycle. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about, another institution, so Let's run down the list real quick. We talked about housing discrimination, we talked about the wealth gap, and we talked about education. Another thing I want to talk about is employment, and specifically when dealing with employment, I want to talk about implicit bias. So what is implicit bias? Implicit bias is basically prejudices that we hold, all of us hold, that we don't even know that we have. It's unconscious. So textbook definition, it is the unconscious attribution of particular qualities to a member of a certain social group. Um, So women are emotional, Asians are good at math, Hispanic people love tacos, white people can't dance, black people are lazy. All of those are implicit biases that I mean, all of us have, myself included. So when I'm talking about implicit bias, in this case, I want to talk specifically about black names, especially when it comes to resumes, because that has been something that I've been dealing with personally, and I know many of my friends have as well, and people that I went to college with. So let's talk about that. There was a study conducted, and it found that white-sounding resumes all white-sounding names on resumes get twice as many interview requests as black-sounding names on resumes. So this is not just to say that, um, you know, someone is more qualified. If you can have the identical resume, so this is for identical resumes, nothing is different except the name you're still going to get twice as many callbacks on a white sounding name on a resume as opposed to a black one. And I was thinking about, okay, so before I even get into that, the personal part, I was thinking about that because it leads us into another sphere of this whole thing, all of these institutions. I feel like it leads us right back into the wealth gap because if people with black-sounding names aren't being interviewed as much, which means that they aren't being hired as much or don't have access to as many opportunities to be hired as people with white-sounding names on their resumes, then that puts us at a disadvantage with the wealth gap because we aren't being employed at the same level as people with white-sounding names. Now, I'm saying white-sounding names instead of saying white people because me saying just white people would like diminish the fact that you know what is a black name like what is a black name honestly you know and i know that we'll say oh you know daquan um uh, jamal Tyrone, blah, blah blah are all like black names but there are black people named ashley there are black people named Haley, there are black people named jasmine amy um uh, you know, all of the what people say white sounding names. Um, so maybe those people aren't at as much of a disadvantage as people with the black sounding names. So I think it's funny because whenever I go in for an interview, I think the interviewers never really know what my race is because of Shakira the singer and they're always like oh like Shakira Shakira and I'm like yeah like Shakira Shakira Um, so I don't know if it's like a disadvantage or not that my name is Shakira but I have often thought you know times when I was in high school one of my teachers was telling us because again I tell y'all this all the time I went to an all black high school like literally everyone was black and one of my teachers mentioned to us in class one day she said that maybe, you know, if you all are ever faced with a point where you feel like you aren't getting enough interviews, it may be because of your name. And that's one of the things that I loved about that school because it was all black. The teachers were able to just like talk to us and tell us like it is. It was no holding any punches. It was no like sugarcoating anything. They told us about real life and what was happening and that's what it was. So, and I commend them because they are honestly the reason why I am the way I am today every single last one of them so she she told us anyway in class that you know if you feel like you aren't getting as many opportunities it may be because of your names and if you have a middle name that is that employers may see as more acceptable or that would hide your race or ethnicity until you got in the room to be able to speak for yourself right then maybe you should use your middle name and I always fought with that because I felt like I was denying who I was if I used my middle name on my resume. I felt like I was lying in some sense, but I get what she was saying. And also, too, I can't really use my middle name because my middle name is not too much better than my first name if I'm just keeping it G. So I don't really have that option. But I mean, Shakira is a great conversation starter for a lot of interviews I've had. So that is one of the things that we deal with, you know, implicit bias when people are seeing our resumes and they instantly see our name and think, oh, this is a black person. And even on an unconscious level, they don't even realize it, but they have attributed different qualities to you just based on your name alone without even looked at looking at your qualifications, your experiences, your volunteer record, or anything like that. That is all implicit bias, but I also want to emphasize again that this is something that we all hold. So again, another study found that implicit bias especially in resumes is the reason that the black unemployment rate is twice that of the white unemployment rate among college graduates so even though we all have our degrees the black unemployment rate is still twice that of white college graduates and implicit bias plays a role in that and again a role in the wealth gap and again a role in us being able to pay back student loan debt it all works together Now, I do want to point out the fact that a few years back, I'm not sure what happened with it or if it's still in effect, but I did read an article about a black woman who created a system um, or some kind of like database that different employers can use that would basically blank out the name of people that were applying for jobs and this was great because in them blanking out the name, they weren't able to have that implicit bias be triggered when they just saw a name and just like, oh, no, let's throw this one out. So I'm not sure what happened with that. If you all know what happened with that, let me know. And I really wish that I could remember oh, her name. But it was a black woman who created the system. And I was, you know, it was a great 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 idea and I think she executed it well. The only thing about it was that it would be up to the employers to actually put that in motion and use that within their companies. So whether or not people have been using it, I don't know. I hope that they are or I hope that they will in the near future. But all of this is tied together. Um, the wealth gap, education, housing discrimination, employment with implicit bias all of it works together and then the last thing I wanted to talk about which I'm really not even going to talk about because we have heard about it so much we know about it It, it's going to be like being a dead horse but that is incarceration so if you want to know more about incarceration and how it affects blacks disproportionately watch 13th I say this often on here, and if you have not seen 13th, it is a documentary by Ava DuVernay, who I love and adore, um, and I would love to interview one day, but she created it, and it is on Netflix. It does a tremendous job at explaining everything that is in my head right now so I'm not even going to try to but watch that and you'll you will be able to see like how incarceration you know just is another institution that all of these in this sphere in this circle work together for incarceration housing discrimination employment with implicit bias education and the wealth gap again imagine a circle different points on the circle and an arrow going to each point they all work together like that so I'm going to leave it at that and I hope that this two-part what is institutional racism was helpful And I hope that it gave you a little bit of awareness, even if you knew many of these things. I hope that you heard one thing that you didn't know before you listened to this podcast episode. And I also hope that you will do the work to learn more on your own. Like I said, who closing doors around here? Interrupting me in my podcast. Um, So I hope that you all will do the work and... That's all I have for today. I feel like there was something else that I needed to tell you all, and it just slipped my mind. So I apologize if I remember. I'll bring it back to y'all next week. Don't forget that you can shop Carefree and Black Diaries merch that is linked in the description of this podcast. And also, you can follow us on Instagram at Carefree and Black Diaries so you'll be updated and stay in tune with everything we have going on. And you can follow us on Twitter at Carefree. L K P O D we tweet a little bit over there so don't forget to stay black and carefree oh before I go remember I told you all last week that I was going to give you all some different things to remember and carry with you throughout the week I almost forgot but I have one for you and I decided that I'm going to call these no I haven't decided (laughs) it was going to be so corny what I just thought about but until I think of a name you know I'll come up with something. But this is what I want you to remember for this week. Eliminate what doesn't help you evolve. One more time for the people in the back. Eliminate what doesn't help you evolve. Don't forget to stay black and carefree. And we'll see you next time in the next episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Bye, guys.